People are the linchpin to a business's success. And if you don't get that right, then organizations are unable to move forward, grow, and innovate. Welcome to the Instinctive Influencers Podcast, a show where influence becomes one of your tools for success. Now, here are your hosts, Brian Weber and Ed Haley. Hi, I'm Brian. And I am Ed. And this is the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Ed, I want to say it's been a little while. We, you know, you had a nice little vacation period with your wife. Y'all went back to Paris again. Golly, man, I'm so jealous yeah. of you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah. what, what I wanted to like highlight was you had quite the little crazy journey getting back, didn't you? Yeah, it was... Uh... So it was a great weekend, first of all. Like the first day, we just hung out and just ate and just wandered the city. We rode the bus tour thing. Second day, we went to the Louvre, which the Louvre is huge. And I really believe we just missed full wings of the Louvre. But it is so much um, stuff in there, like so many talented sculptors and artists. And it, it was amazing. But at the end of our trip, we decide, oh, well, let's go get to our train early. So we go to our train only to find out it had been canceled. And the two and a half hour train ride we should have had turned into a 12 hour plus ordeal <laughs> to include one of our connecting trains getting to the station late and us missing a train, which cost us another four and a half hours of waiting in the train station. And here, the train stations are open. Uh, I mean, it's a building, but where the platforms and stuff are, it all feeds into that building. There's no, like, it was cold. We'll just say that. It was cold, <laughs> man. Like, uh, probably about 40 degrees or less uh, Celsius in there. And we, so we went to the McDonald's and we hung out there and we nibbled on food to try to stay there, but they closed at one uh, a.m. Oh, so then, man. yeah, so then we had like three and a half hours, man, just sitting in the cold. And then on the backside, like, uh, we got back here at like 5.30, had to pick up the dog from her babysitter at 9. The wife had to be at work at 10. So it was it was quite the tiring experience. And uh, But we'd still go back and we'd still ride the train. And it was all around. There was a strike in France that, you know, we had called the train company. and said, no, no, no problem. But it ended up being a problem. Uh, but we did meet somebody. So I didn't tell you this. This is my restore my, you know, uh, there, there are some great people out there. So when you get bumped from your train, you don't have a ticket like you. you there's, Oh, you can ride, but you don't have a seat. So we get in a seat. Lady comes. Hey, this is my seat. So we move. Guy comes. Hey, this is my seat. So we move. So the third guy comes, a French guy comes and he says, hey, uh, you know, this is my seat. And he's just one guy. So we're starting to get up, and he says, oh, are you together? And I was like, yeah. And he's like, oh. So the train's about to pull out. So he goes back. He says, well, wait a minute. And he goes through the train. He comes back. He says, hey, I found the unclaimed seat, so I'll sit there, and you two can stay here together and just keep my seat. And uh, I was like, you know what? That was fantastic. Like, that was such a nice – he didn't have to do that. He could have made us move, but he didn't. So that that was pretty awesome. I, I so that was, you know, in a bad experience, there was still a ray of like hope and, and, and goodness that came out of it. Ah, can you just imagine all that serotonin and oxytocin pumping through that body of yours once you realize that there are such awesome people out there? 
Yeah, it was it was awesome. French guy, thank goodness he spoke English too. So <laughs> my, wife's, better, my wife's man. French is my wife's French is rusty at best. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I I totally get that. It's just that is that's like one of it's it's pretty much it preaches along the lines of the type of things we talk about all the time here. You know, with hey, just do something for other people. You know, it doesn't matter. Uh, yeah, and yeah, it's just fascinating, man. I thought it was cool. I mean, random French guy. You know what I mean, like. He was really nice about telling us it was his seat, and then when he realized we were together, so yeah, so we actually had to have seats because at some point you can't find seats together. Now we got to sit separate, or worse, you know, because that was the longest leg of our our train ride. Like we could have ended up having to stand. Or now I did fail. I failed my wife because I've traveled on the train a few times, and what a lot of people do in those instances when they don't have an assigned seat like that is they'll just go to the dining car and just sip on coffee. For the duration of the train ride, and they don't care. They'll let you. You can sleep in the dining car as long as you buy something to eat. Oh, no way. Yeah, that's crazy. Yeah, and I knew better. I knew that and didn't even think about it. At that point, I was so angry about the train being canceled, I think, that I just I, I let it not. I let it uh, inhibit my ability to think clearly is what I did. It's quite the journey, man. You know, though, it's it it just it speaks to the, uh, the, the different things I, I can recall in my mind of, you know, the of just different types of traveling and things I've had to do throughout the years in the service. But really one I wanted to hit upon and I heard you mention it and it was like, Oh, click sounds like talent management. But uh, you mentioned something about the, the many talented artists within the Louvre. Oh yeah. Yeah. I think it's huge, man. I didn't realize how big that place is, but, uh, yeah, no, there's many, many artists that, you know, and some of them you'll be like, oh, I know who that is. I've heard of him before, but um, just yeah, yeah, to me, it was breathtaking, some of it. Like, I, you know, I like the war thing, so like statues of Spartacus and Caesar, and mm-hmm. there's one really cool, uh, I think it's called P- Promethean Man, and he's basically has been, he has a spear in his thigh, and he's broken the end off, and it's a statue of him pulling the spear out of his thigh in combat, uh, fighting oh, wow. the Spartans. Actually, he was fighting the Spartans at the time. It was pretty cool. Yeah, no, there's some. The only bad thing, you know, back then they they don't like to put clothes on their sculptures. So, <laughs> oh yeah, 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 definitely. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So when I take the pictures, I'm like, I hope I don't go to Facebook jail for these pictures. But <laughs> <laughs> it's art. It's art, Ed. It's okay. Yeah. No. So where I was going with this is. You know, you think about it. Okay, you said the Louvre was gargantuan. It's huge. It, I mean, there's just tons of area, right? Massive tunnels, yeah. Yeah, but even though it's that big, they probably still have to dwindle down the size or the amount of artwork that goes into it. You know, not like every every little kid who drew with a crayon um, and now <laughs> it's hanging up on their refrigerator at their home, their artwork is not going to go in the Louvre, obviously. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, they definitely have to manage what, you know, the expectations. And and when you talk about the people who are in there, a lot of them, you know, royalty kept them around for their talents. You know what I mean? Like, right. you know, Napoleon kept certain people around for their talents to capture him and his glory as he, you know, when he wins battles. And so to me, that's kind of placed the talent management too. those, those rulers took those artists and said, OK, you're my guy. You're my painter. You're going to do my self-portrait or my portrait. You're going to do this for me um, because he recognized how talented they were. Mm-hmm. Exactly. And that's where and that's kind of like where we shift 
gears here now. And we're going to get into this whole talent management thing. Uh, and you found an, an excellent study uh, that uh, we're going to kind of piece together, you know, different section areas of it. I, I didn't want, like, I mean, goodness, this thing's 14 pages long. It looks, it looks like it's a, a, a well put together paper. I read the whole entire thing uh, more than <laughs> once so I could. But the way I see it is, is for instance, the Louvre. There's only so much that can be put into it, and there's only so many talented people that can be used for certain, or, or there's certain pieces of artwork that can be displayed. Much like, let's say, an organization. So in an organization, there's only so many people that, that can get in front of the boss and to explain their stuff. You know, and it's not like every single person within that organization would explain what's going on with their daily life, that type of thing. Or every single person is uh, constantly being uh, groomed for success in every single thing in the organization. You have to pick and choose all these different things. And so I, I, to me, I find it a similar comparison of how you have to kind of pick and choose what you put in the Louvre or the organization due to talent management. Yeah, I kind of like that uh, analogy too. It makes perfect sense because like you said, you can't just flood the Louvre with every piece of art. Now there's some great pieces of art that aren't in the Louvre. You know, uh, yeah. David is not, in the, you know, not in the Louvre. Like, so there are ones that just don't make the cut. And But when you talk about flipping it in the talent management organization, this is going to be the same thing. Sometimes you're, you may overlook that very talented person. You may have that guy who's just amazing at using Microsoft products, but yeah. you don't know that, you know? So yeah, they have to be you, discovered. you hope that that comes out, but yeah, you hope that comes out through your interpersonal in, uh, interactions or something mm -hmm. somewhere that that type of thing comes out. But it, sometimes it just doesn't. Yeah. I mean, you know, and if you think about the idea of that whole talent management, it, it's it's completely attractive for multiple reasons. We've talked about it, uh, you and I, many times. We've we've browsed, kind of like skimmed over it a little bit on the show, but we've never actually like dived into it to really look at elements of it. Um, and, and there's leaders and, and different types of professionals that they actually feel they should be doing more about developing people for the future. And talent is that like the way they describe it, right? And I don't know, I, I, I guess you could say that that is kind of how you describe it, but I can't develop all, let's rough ass, let's just say, let's throw out a rough number of 300 people. If I were to have 300 people in my organization, me at my position, I wouldn't be able to develop all 300, right? I, I, I could pick and choose, but right. I don't have enough days in the year practically to do, well, there are enough days in the year, but not enough working training holiday or actually days to do what we need to do in the year to get every single person. Right. Uh, so the term, this is what he's saying right here. The term can also encompass career development, which has been difficult to position in organizations for a while since individuals were pretty much left to sort out their own careers. Now I, I, uh, I would definitely say up to a certain point in my career, I felt the same way, Ed, like, that I had to kind of, I had to seek out things, certain things. Now, there were certain times that I, I was developed in certain areas to help, you know, build my talents, whatever they are. Um, but 
you know, a lot of it, a lot of it had to be done, you know, over time. And I had to kind of do a lot of the work on my own. You know, uh, it says, he says, it is about positive things, doing things for your best people, investing in developing them, building on potential, and therefore about people's strengths. Uh, the phrase talent management also sounds a bit important, rather strategic, and even exciting. As one HR director says to IES, it plays well as a term in the boardroom. But, and we'll get a little bit, there's a lot to that. We're going to look at the actual, it may play well, say, in a big meeting or something, but when it comes to actual using it to the workforce, you know, at all different levels, it can actually be kind of complicated. There is actually a, there's a uh, definition that was uh, generated by the CIPD, Ed, and it's this, and I, I kind of like this de- yeah. the definition, the systematic attraction, identification, development, engagement, retention, and deployment of those individuals with high potential who are of particular value to an organization. I mean, that's, that's a mouthful and you don't realize it's like, yeah. so I gotta, I gotta, I gotta <laughs> pull them in. And, you know, first systematic attracts and identification. So not, I got to attract individuals and then I've got to be able to identify what talents they are. Then I have to be able to uh, develop that. And, and then after I've developed it, I got to hope that they don't try to leave my organization. So I got to got to keep them to help, you know, increase the, uh, the productivity of the organization. What, what do you think so far, man? Yeah, so I mean, this is interesting because it really basically this is saying it starts with the recruitment of them. And when you do, you know, when we talk recruitment, you know, it could be an interview panel or an individual interview or whatever it is. Yeah. But so that's kind of interesting. And then the other thing that really, for me, out of all this sticks out is the retention piece because, you know, you could have somebody who's talented, but then they want to jump ship and, you know, maybe they're getting a bigger offer somewhere else. Or as we've talked about many times, maybe the culture of your organization is not one that makes them want to remain in the organization and and demonstrate a loyalty to the organization. So over some of the other episodes that we've done, when we talked about influences loyalty, for instance, Mm -hmm. that's one of the things this is talking about. Like when you talk about that detention piece, or retention, sorry, detention. I'm thinking about high school. Uh, <laughs> that retention piece, yeah, that plays into that. I mean, there's books written just on the subject of dealing with negative people in your organization in order to better keep your talent management um, intact. So, yeah, that, yeah, that's, I mean, I think it's a good definition. So I, it just really stood out. And and you think, you, you mentioned there the the retention of people, right, and, and engagement in the, in the military. There's a reason why people of certain MOSs get larger bonuses just to get them to stay in, or their contract when they when they sign up, it's a lengthier contract than others. When I first joined Ed, uh, my first contract was for six years because aviation. You know they they don't want to lose you as an asset. You know they they spend all this money to train you and get you a certain way and and get you going and you know you leave after three years they need you for that full six years uh so i mean i can and that's why i i can kind of relate to that uh what i like what i liked here was that very last piece of that definition and he talks about here is the idea of potential right is is in there but so also is a much more general idea of particular value 
which can mean just about anything, right? So, I mean, value. So, uh, you know, what, what's the value you add to the show versus the value I add to the show? You know, we, we both know what our potential is and, and well, kind of sorter and we see where it's good, but you know, what's, what's the particular value? And it could be so broad. It's so hard to kind of nail that down. So attempts at definition tend to like, they get confused in on basically two fronts. Firstly, the parts of the workforce to which the term talent might apply can range from all small numbers of potential senior leaders to the whole workforce, right? So when we when we throw that when we throw the definition out there, so is it is it individually? Much like when we talk about the Louvre, there's only so many people that can you know have their stuff put in there and 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 displayed and whatnot. It's individually. There's certain key people, and not the whole workforce of everyone who does that. But also, secondly. Uh, let's just say HR professions that uh, has they've extended the core idea of attracting and developing talent into every ing type of word that you can think of, like retaining, motivating, de- uh, rewarding, you know, more stuff like that. At one extreme, you have this talent management uh, can you can be taken to the whole for the whole of the workforce, which you know, I mean, if you think about it. It helps, but you can't you can't manage or you can't uh, help develop the talent in every single person all the time. You can to a certain extent, though, right? If you have certain key leaders and positions, and you know that that drive to make everybody better is pushed. Yeah, I mean that's what we do in the army. Yeah, yeah, and so I, I kind of wish. Um, well. I will hear from my wife. So my wife is actually an HR, like she has an HR degree. So we'll see. It'll be interesting to hear her input on this uh, topic. But um, yeah, so the the whole, when we talk about the, the workforce to which the term talent might apply, right? But we have to identify that. But I, so I don't think you, Brian, as the senior guy, I don't think it's really, so you do have a, a responsibility to identify talent, but not that lowest level. That's, you know, think about the the way the promotion board is supposed to work is that first line leadership, right, is the one that says, hey, they have the potential to be promoted. Now, we've gotten away from that, I feel like, in the military a little bit, but that's who really gets them moving up. Now, at the senior level, yeah, you're the senior who says, okay, he has that potential. You know, one day you may sit on the uh, decentralized promotion board. And at that point you're looking at senior leaders records and you're promoting them based off of that potential to, you know, their talent or potential talent to do the next level. So those are kind of the things you're looking at, but I I just, you know, I, I don't want the listeners to really think, Oh, this is just a senior level management, um, concern because it's not talent management. It starts all the way at the bottom you know, at the first line leader, they, they're managing those guys. They're the ones that decide who should be in the management programs, who should be moving up within the workforce. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I loved how you put it like that with the using, a, a, a say, a promotion board. And, and you can even you can even do a preemptive strike on that by saying, all right, well, you can't even go to the promotion board to uh, shine and show you know your capabilities until you go to a soldier of the month, NCO of the month board where you're going to get practice and we're actually going to see what you're capable of doing before we say, Hey, yeah, you're ready to move on. You're ready to move up and take charge of X, Y, and Z. Yeah. So you, you basically are saying what you're saying is you have some tools in place 
that can assist in that talent management. And that's, I think that's a great thing. And I think most organizations should have some kind of program like that if they don't. Yeah. Yeah. But now let's, but let's still look at this too, Ed, for instance, within our type of organization. And obviously this is much different than say, uh, uh, you know, a fortune 500 type company or, you know, being a part of a feast, like, uh, your wife or my wife, she, uh, she worked many years at HR with, um, uh, assisted living type places. There's a big difference, you know, how they go about it and how they have to kind of, uh, you know, look at things and, and get things working. But with ours, we actually have a system that allows us to really help grow that. Like, for instance, I said, you know, they have to go to some type of, of the month board, soldier of the month or NCO of the month board to allow them to show that they can develop or they can become better. And then they can go to a promotion board. Well, who's sitting on that board? It's usually your most senior, um, normally your most senior NCOs of the organizations within like say a battalion, it, you know, your sergeant major and your first sergeants, or sometimes you have to have sergeant first classes to fill in, right? Now, they weren't the ones who identified that person, but they may have had interaction with that person and noticed things here and there. Because I don't know how many times, Ed, that I, I've sat on a board before, right? And they're asking these questions. They're noticing maybe the the individual uh, firing back answers is a little off, right? They're not they're not getting quite the answer quite right. And it's like, wait a second. I know this kid. I've, I've worked with this kid before. What's going on here? Right? And it, maybe it's nervousness or this or that. Um, could have been that they had a baby uh, two weeks prior and the baby's still up at night crying their you know eyes out and they're up all night trying to help their wives and all this. I mean, there's lots of smaller nuances that change that and develop it differently. But let's think about this. In the civilian sector, they don't, I don't really know of anything that they have like that that I'm aware of and I would totally totally like to pick you know only your wife's brain but also my wife's brain on that because how they both work you know they have experience in those areas yeah that's that's interesting because I don't think that I've ever seen anything kind of like that either but um because you know maybe that would be a good tool for an organization to try uh I know we had Robert Roof on and he kind of mimics some of his um, real estate on stuff, lessons learned in, learned in the military. So mm-hmm. maybe he needs to start having a, a board like that. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think also, so when you talk about those senior leaders sitting on the board, rather than the person that's actually saying, Hey, I feel like they had the potential. Well, at that point what the senior leaders in my mind become are they're stewards of the profession. They're the gatekeepers, you know, maybe that first line recommended them for that appearance but maybe it was a little bit more personal than it was professional. And that's the job of those, in my mind, for us as seniors, that's our job then to kind of weed that out and see what their real potential is. So I would say we're being stewards of the profession of the uh, being an NCO. Oh, yeah. But, you know, there's also there's also in the back of your brain, Ed, though, with uh, there's a slight nervousness of, you know, well, really, what is talent management uh, and what do they mean by talent or talent for what you know is there a specific tasks that i just need to have a certain type of person talented for this and only this or uh what about on the other side if i am talent what will managing me mean for instance now am i going to get overworked because i am so talented at this you know am am i going to be the workhorse that carries the entire workload for everyone else uh what if what if i am not talented do I not get developed? Do I not get to uh, be basically groomed to become better? And basically, if, if different types of leaders, they'll they'll need to 
tell some people that they they're not as talented as they thought they were and that could be but it's doing the right one you know uh, do you know if they have the talent that you need they don't you know all these different little nuances and you're like uh it could be it could be kind of nerve-wracking right because what if let's just say this what if you put all your eggs in a basket of you know developing these three individuals over here uh, and two of the three end up doing something that jeopardizes uh, their ability to progress in their career all that time wasted all that training all that you know the the different things to get them to a certain point to be able to take on a larger bigger role in the organization that's i mean that in itself can be kind of like wow you know eye opening yeah you say eye opening it's funny because i think that sometimes you want the manager you know as the you know, quote unquote talent. I want the manager to tell me I'm not as talented as maybe I think I am because, you know, that, like you said, that's eye opening for me. That's like, oh, okay. But then hopefully through the mentorship of that manager, they can also say, hey, here's a way we can lean forward and we can develop those things and make you better, you know, make you more talented or whatever the case is, whatever your particular situation is. But, you know, for me and all that uh, in the article, I, I really think that it is important. And at the same time, you know, some some people just have huge egos and sometimes they need, you know, they need you to put a pin in the balloon and, and pop it, let a little air out. Um, oh, yeah. But I think your delivery system, too. How are you going to do that? You know, if I'm the manager, how do I let them know they're not quite, you know, you don't want to walk in and be like, hey, you ain't all that you think you are. It's got to be a different way. And I think that if you come at them with, hey, here's some of your shortfalls, you know, and they're like, whoa, I thought I was great at that. But here's some ways we can develop that. Then you're building that win streak within with them. Mm-hmm. And then they should embrace it because it's really an opportunity for some lifelong learning for that person. Oh, absolutely. And that's kind of like that we're going to we're going to now take that and shift this into basically looking at something called focus and fit. You know, how do we focus talent management and at what point, you know, do we fit it? Basically finding ways uh, to meet the organization's uh, objectives of talent management, which it helps fit different people and, you know, in like a puzzle. So there's, I mean, it's, there's elements both sides. So it's like, okay, so how do I focus on it? But also once I focus on where do they go into this puzzle? Because I've got them, I've chiseled them out. You know, I've I've made that art that we talked about with the Louvre. I've made this this beautiful sculpture. Sculpture, but where does it fit in the Louvre? At what point does you know is somebody's walking through and they say, "Wow, you know that is that is just the right place for this." Because we just saw mm-hmm. this, and now we see this. It's just beautiful. You know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so yeah, th- this part should be interesting. I think it's a good shift of gears, but still staying within the realm of ta- uh, the importance of talent management. Yeah. Well, first we're going to start with focus, then we're going to move over to fit. But focus, basically, we're focusing for what, where, and when in development goals, right? So the first is about for what part of the organization. What kinds of job roles we need to, a more purposeful approach to developing potential. I love that word potential, man. In order to fill these jobs well in the future. So, for example, we may be pitching a future senior management role. So, I mean, there's, you know, so what for what are we are we focusing on? 
I, I, I really like that. And then the next one, Ed, is where? So basically, where in the organization or outside it, uh, the right kinds of people may be found for the target roles and how far ahead that is when. We, uh, we need to start developing. So we talked about where and then when. We need to start developing them so that they will be good candidates by the time they compete for the target roles. So, for example, we might be looking for senior managers who are really uh, ready if we have a strong pool of middle managers with senior management potential. It, let's say, for however, the pool is weak. Now, we, we may need to uh, basically start much earlier or to improve our recruitment. I, and I can see that. Like I like that part because you think about it uh, within what we do. The pool for different types of talents and, and how we're selected, especially at the senior ranks, I mean, it, it really gets dwindled down. The, the percentage of people that get to make it that high you know, and when we're looking, we're thinking about the where that these kinds of people may be found. I never thought I would make it this far. I mean, did you, Ed? Uh, as early as 2012, I didn't think I'd make it this far. So, no, I would definitely say not, Brian. <laughs> no, and and, and at, at the right time, though, I feel like you know, there's things that have happened that's kind of allowed us to be kind of plucked for the the jobs and roles that we've done and, and that, you know, just right, which is when. Um, but then there's the third part of, of all this, the talent focus. It has to be about the development outcomes. We're looking for to overcome potential resourcing difficulties. If we are not going to achieve particular outcomes, there is no point in identifying talent pools. So to extend our senior management example, we might seek to give uh, some of our good middle managers, broader career experiences outside their own function or business division. This will make them stronger candidates for a range of potential senior management vacancies and also equip them to perform better if they gain such a role. This reminds me of is TDAs or temporary duty assignments, Mm -hmm. right? So take we take those those sergeant E5s, those staff sergeant, and we're going to speak on the enlisted side. I'm not going to speak on, let's like, say, the officer or one officer side, but those sergeant E5s, those staff sergeants, and even those, you know, sergeant first classes and up. But really at that, that key, I want to say that key area is that staff sergeant area, and they go and do that temporary duty assignment. They become instructors. They become drill sergeants. They become recruiters. They they go be service school instructors. They do, uh, they become safety whatever, and they do all, all these different things. And it shows, okay, so we've developed this guy within his realm that he's supposed to have some talent in up to this point. Now let's put him in a different job. Let's see if he can perform or she can perform at the same level, and that will allow them to gain that experience to help them become a better potential senior management type or senior leader. Does it make sense? It does make sense because you're cha- you're challenging them and you're seeing how they, they um, perform in different environments. And that's how you make those determinations. The other thing that I was thinking about Brian, so I'm thinking back to Sergeant first class, Brian Weber, right? And frequently I would see this guy standing in front of the company formation, uh, when his first sergeant was not around, maybe we on leave or in school, 
And to me, Brian, that's what you're talking about right now because you were put in that position, right, to perform. You were given some experience in it. And at the same time, your your performance can be observed. And that's part of the development that one day you're going to be a first sergeant and you are. Yeah. And, and I think that that makes you a stronger candidate because you you some of the bumps and bruises that some first sergeants have you had when you were a sergeant first class filling in uh, for periods of, of time as a uh, first sergeant. And then mm-hmm. the other thing is, you know, those positions when, when that's happened, I know it's happened to me where I've been put in charge of a platoon, say, and I was not the senior person, but they put me there instead of the senior person for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. But those are, those are development opportunities that the organization takes. And then you're being watched, even though you don't think you are. And that's where that evaluation. And then they're like, okay, this is our guy. This could be, you know, when I was in the aviation, before I came to the unit where you were, they were trying to make me the platoon sergeant as a Sergeant E five of a platoon that had staff sergeants in it. And they're like, yeah, we do, but so I think that's what in these three things we're talking about here, these three questions, I think that's kind of what we're talking about too in the military where we do that. Yeah, we call it like, you know, I'm the fill-in or I'm the, you know, whatever, but you're really developing whether you realize it or not. Yeah, well, and I would definitely say also at the same time, Ed, that not only are we developing, but sometimes let's say it's you or I, we're, we're, we're beginning becoming developed also sometimes we don't see that we don't see what we're being developed for so there needs to be a conversation there to let them know i mean there's multiple times where i was doing something and i didn't realize that i was supposed to be learning and growing i just did it and in a sense it can kind of hurt you because it's like okay what for or you know why am i why is this am, am, am i supposed what am i supposed to get from this you know um and sometimes it's just you don't you're like yeah you, this guy totally had no idea what he was trying to do for me so uh, he was just doing it because he needed me to do some work <laughs> <laughs> but i mean in the same sense you know so to be able to to shift that focus and to help that individual those individuals or the workforce too for instance if i'm trying to uh, i talked about this before ed uh when we took uh, that last group uh, back over to Afghanistan. One of the things I tried to do and try to uh, like basically pinpoint focus on was the ability to cross train, cross train on multiple of the job sets within my platoon, and that was to basically say, all right, any one of these people could pretty much do any type of job set, uh, and there was we had up to four different four different MOSs or military occupational skills. And they did normally different tasks, but by trying to uh, draw upon like talent management and, and pick and choose who works with who so they can learn whatnot, it helped develop that small localized workforce to be able to become better and hence improve the productivity of the entire workforce. Hmm. But one of the things uh, we're actually getting to uh, when it comes to the focus part is let's just say leadership focus, right? Um, the most common focus talent uh, strategy addresses the future supply of leaders, often called the leadership pipeline. Now, I've heard that before. I've heard that in the army, you know, oh, yeah. that whole leadership pipeline. And we're trying to basically we're trying to create a funnel of leaders and it's kind of like you drop all these, you know, you picture a, a big funnel and you drop all these little soldiers in and every once in a while, just a couple drop out at the bottom uh, because 
they've got to work their way through the system <laughs> and get out. But uh, an organization needs to consider carefully where in the pipeline it needs to act and with what outcomes. If if we leave it too late to develop future leaders, it is hard to give people the range of, say, career experience, which might equip them well. That's what I could see. I could see that, right? If if I wait until this one soldier is a sergeant first class to teach them how to do uh, sergeant first class stuff until they're already a sergeant first class, I may be kind of, one well, I'm stunting their growth. I'm not only am I stunting their growth, Ed, I'm also, I'm drawing back on their potential because now they don't know some of the tasks and the duties and stuff that they really need to understand. Instead, I should be throwing them little, little like biscuits of, of how it's done as say is a Sergeant E5. Then as they become a staff sergeant, I start throwing larger chunks of it for them to understand it. And now as a Sergeant First Class, they really have a grasp on it. Now I'm just throwing them things and they're just, you know, they're just eating it up and, and going to town on it. Yeah. So the, you know what this reminds me of, Brian, is my wife is, she works for the exchange services, right? The retail, yeah. pretty much the retail for on base. And they have a program called the Retail Management Academy or the RMA and then the Restaurant Operations Management Academy. Um, and these programs are supposed to train non-management associates um, for for the program. So it basically it's these associates, just, you know, the cashier, Sally the cashier or Tam, Tammy the cashier for that matter, um, who are interested in pursuing a management career in retail. Well, one of the stipulations for this program is you have to have an evaluation um, already complete with a satisfactory rating, right? Well, they do the first one at six months. So when we talk about getting them early involved, at six months, they have an evaluation. So they're qualified to join this program if they like. And when my wife was interested, one of her um, managers used to pull her aside and say, hey, I'm going to show you some stuff so that you could go to that program and, and be ready for it. And so he basically started training her on a lot of management stuff before she even threw her name in a hat for the program. And, and so this is one of those tools. So we talk about leadership focus. So you're trying to develop your leaders. And as soon as he sees a potential, I guess, in my wife, I'm going to say he did because I, I know he did. Um, and that was my that was going to be my question, Ed, was like there had to have been something that he's seen to say, you know what? I need to develop this individual to this level. And, and and I think it was. I think it was her. Honestly, I think it was her work ethic, um, because every time he's around her, we talk about it, and he's always like, "I wish you could work for me. I need somebody who can work like you work." So, as a matter of fact, we just had dinner with him this week. Um, but he was teaching her things that, like, basically, he was teaching her stuff that she couldn't even log into the system to do on her own. You know what I mean? Like, so then when she, then she gets selected for a supervisor job, she has all this knowledge. And then people are like, oh, you already know that. Mm. So, you know, but AFES, I think they do a good job with that, um, with that management academy, whether it be food service or retail to get them involved early. And then they get this training. And then when they're done the training, they're not management. They're still an associate, but they're in a pool of people who are qualified. So now yeah, early. Yes, early. So now when we have those shortfalls and we say, oh, we need a manager for whatever section of, of the main store, they got that pool to pull from, and then they can look at their talents and, and decide who's the best fit. So I just it made me think of that whole program because I think that program can be pretty uh, 
you know, it could be pretty good at the, in developing. And it also puts a civilian spin on just what we're talking about. Oh, yeah, yeah. I totally understand. And, you know, I I kind of picked something out of that. I was like, ooh, I want to branch off just slightly a little bit because it. I think it's something that should be focused on. And what it is is, so for instance, we're going to, um, and you, it was great that you took us to the AP's route. I want to jump back to soldiering things. We talk about, you, you mentioned something about one of the things could have been uh, because of our hard work ethic. But I think that there was a little bit more than that. I think there was, there's also a level of competence, right? Uh, or commitment, um, communication, like a lot of little elements that's like, okay, I'm seeing this, I'm seeing this. not just the work ethic. For instance, one of the things I know is, that it seemed to be, to me, I felt like it wasn't the right mentality See, within the army for years was, oh, they do really good at PT, so they must be a good leader. Hmm. I'm like, no, that no. Just because they get a 300 does not make them a good leader. That just means they're really good at one element of being a leader. I I just sat down uh, some soldiers the other day because we ended up having some uh, some APFT failures that I had to counsel in, in a flag and stuff, which it's, it's always, it always hurts me to have to do that like i don't sit there and like find pleasure in saying hey listen right now you're basically uh you're basically in in the warning stages if you do this again you're gonna get put out of the army i don't like that i don't like the fact that somebody has to fail and and all that but when i'm sitting there and i'm telling them that i'm talking to them about it and i'm trying to explain to them all the elements of what they can do to make themselves better in just that one area but then I, I'll I'll pull back a minute and I say, but remember this, just because somebody's good at this does not mean they're good at everything else. So you have to continue to grow and learn in all the little mm-hmm. uh, nuances and elements of being a soldier. I'd rather have, and I uh, I want to say it was, it was uh, Simon Sinek, and I want to say I talked about it on here not too long ago, uh, when he when he did this study about what. Uh, let's say the the navy seals want when it comes to people that can perform you know there's there's the low performer with low production uh, then there's the high performer with low production and then there's like the high production or with high performer with high production and that's what everybody wants but you're not going to get it then you, you know you can drop down below the the high performer with high production to like the high performer with mediocre production right there Everybody would have that mediocre guy than the, any of the people over there on the other side with a low production uh, and especially the high performer with low production because that person tends to be toxic. And mm. I just, oh man, that makes sense. So, um, and it's really, it's really about looking at those individuals to help them develop in all the little areas, right? And that's where we're going to kind of shift focus to here right now. Actually, getting in with groups is basically uh, functional level or workforce group focus, right? So talent management does not have to be about either the whole workforce or senior leadership. In many organizations, there are specific other parts of the workforce which need positive attention in order to resource themselves well. And I can, I can speak on that. Uh, definitely functional or professional groups are often hard to recruit and retain. We may be thinking like may possibly about uh, a functional talent pipeline, uh, taking someone from their early professional uh, formation through a leadership role or a senior specialist role. Uh, just because let's, let's look at it this way. Ed. Just because somebody's a really good supply clerk doesn't mean that they're going to be a really good leader for a group of people, right? No, you can be good 
at your job, like your actual, like whatever your military occupation specialty is, you can be really, I've seen some really talented, really good mechanics, but they couldn't lead a soldier to the latrine. So, I mean, it's just a fact. Some people just have different talent sets. And, and if leadership's not one of those talent sets, then, you know, the, we got to look at that when we're uh, evaluating their performance and their potential. But yeah, I've, I've seen that. Actually, you see that quite often in the military. You see guys that are just like stellar performers in their job job, but the leadership additional duty or additional responsibility of leadership is not something they're very good at. Yeah. And you know, and it's fun. The funny thing it Ed is that uh, they used to have the spec ranks. Do you remember you, you ever looked up stuff about that? I, I did not wear the spec rank, but I do remember the spec ranks. I, I remember them from reading through history. <laughs> yeah, it was it was never it was never during our time. Uh, I do know my grandfather's time they had it, but uh, but basically the spec rank is there was a point where they where you branched off right where you could go the leadership route or you could go the technical route, and the technical route really was okay. You become a specialist within your field at higher grades. So you get paid a little bit more, a little bit more, a little bit more versus, you know, once I get to a certain point and I make that branch off, if I go to the leadership route, now I'm, I'm being more groomed and focused towards leading this larger group while my technical experts are actually getting certain parts of the job done. So I, I find that, that what I mentioned there, basically when it talks to about the, you know, the, the functional or uh, professional groups, that what I meant was, is for instance, yeah, I may have somebody who's really good at being a supply clerk and they're just going to keep getting better at that. And maybe they're not able to take on a leadership role, but man, they could really get after it and make sure that all the elements of supply are done correctly. So we that's one of those that's one of those areas that has to be focused on within talent management. Not everyone has the ability to become a leader, but they could be they become a leader in their specialty. Yeah, and I think that honestly, Brian, in my mind, that plays a little bit better to the civilian sector than to the military because honestly, if you don't have an ability to be a leader in the military, then there's really no sense in retaining you at that point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the civilian sector, you know, everybody can't be the department head. So that's fine. I can be a worker bee because I'm really good at the budget. You know, that's my thing. That's my jam. And, and never be a leader. You can stay with that organization for years and, and you know, advance. Now, eventually, you're probably going to hit a plateau. Like, that's it without mm-hmm. leadership. But And you may be happy there. That might be your personality to be happy there. But I think this plays one of the rare times, actually, on this show. I think this plays way better for the civilian sector than it does oh, yeah. for the military sector. Oh, absolutely, man. I, t- I completely agree to you. Uh, but what I do, what I could say is, is even if, oh, let's say we do, the, the general focus is towards the civilian sector, but even in the military sector, it allows those leaders who know, okay, this individual is not going to do so well as a leader, they're better at their job, to basically, uh, in, in, in uh, no fancy terms, but hurt people's feelings and say, listen, you're not really a good leader, but you're excellent at your job, and maybe you should pursue that outside of the army. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So you're you're telling them where their talent may be a little bit better better used is outside the army. I don't see an issue with that at all. You're really helping that soldier because all they're going to do is reenlist, right? They're going to get locked into a contract, mm-hmm. 
and and they're not going to advance anymore because some point this whoever that steward of the NCO core is going to be like that's it like you're not a very good leader you're amazing I've never seen anybody diagnose and turn wrenches the way you do right you just can't you can't lead soldiers so yeah, yeah. that yeah, makes sense yeah. help them out you know we're leaning towards that in the military right we're we're starting to teach soldiers that you know these are the tools to if you are deciding to get out like these are how to do your resume right we're teaching resume we're talking about linkedin with soldiers now so these are things that i, I don't see an issue because some people just aren't meant to be leaders uh some people just don't want to do it. Some are lazy to the point where they're just happy doing their job. I just want to turn this wrench. Um, mm. And you see that a lot. And and I can tell you from a maintenance standpoint, at least wheeled, because I didn't really do aviation side, mm-hmm. from wheeled, there are often mechanics that get promoted in the leadership positions, and they are unhappy when you tell them, you know, you're a supervisor now. Yeah. You know, you can't lay underneath the truck for five hours a day. That's not how this works. You got to go do counselings. And yep. so, yeah. No, I agree, Ed. And to tell you the truth, uh, the wheeled mechanics, yes, it works that way. It's exactly the same for aviation mechanics. It is exactly the same. There are certain people that they are just so good with the aircraft, but there comes a time that they have to get prom- they're promoted and it. They don't like the idea that they can't get out there and, you know, get after it still with the job and they have to start doing other areas of leadership. So, yeah. Uh, So we talked about focus, though, and how we focus our talent management and basically kind of groom and build it. But now we got to find the right fit. So if I'm I'm working this this certain type of talent and I want to fit it into my organization, I have to know where I'm not I'm not going to develop an individual with a specific talent that has nothing to do with what I need them to do in my organization. So we've got to kind of, we've got to make sure though, that it's identified obviously before we start this process. Right. So that, that to me, that's kind of, Ed, that's kind of uh, basically saying, okay, these are the job skills. These are the, the job sets that we need and general area of, and then we'll further enhance them within this organization. And uh, like, for instance, we have, uh, you know, within our MOSs, they're, they're like job books, right? And those job books, they allow us to further develop within a parameter of what we should be knowing by a certain time or understanding. And we're mm-hmm. sort of tested on, but not just tested on, but really we're able to prove that we can accomplish that task. And once you, you know, we reach that, then you're just like, okay, this person is proficient in this area. Great. Uh, but without that, say that's that job book, we can just let people flap off in the wind and there's really nothing to kind of guide and mold it. So you have to find the right place to fit that in. Um, so a talent program, it, it can take many different forms and it might even involve a major investment or be cost neutral. Uh, one of the ways, you know, when looking at it, you think about like on the job coaching, how about uh, maybe corporate projects or even like mm-hmm. career moves, into basically new areas of work. I know when I mentioned earlier how I was able to take those four different MOSs and diverge them. That's that on the job coaching type of thing. It's not like Ed, I'm going to take uh, Joe Snuffy and um, and who's another famous one we like to use. McGillicuddy? Schmuckatelli. Or Schmuckatelli, right. So I got Schmuckatelli. I got Schmuckatelli and Joe Snuffy over here. And they're both very poor at their job. 
I'm not going to link them two up to learn how to do the <laughs> job better, right? That that doesn't make sense. Instead, what I'm going to do is I'm going to take I'm going to take Snuffy, I'm going to get McGillicuddy because McGillicuddy is amazing at this job and I need him to train others. Well, one of the things is I'm actually training both of them, Ed. I'm training both to be better. One, I'm teaching Snuffy to be better at this particular job. But I'm also training McGillicuddy on how to become better at being a leader, a trainer, a coach, a mentor. Because they can't just do it anymore. They gotta get. They have to teach somebody else how to do it. And to me, that that's a force multiplier when it comes to finding the right fit. Oh yeah, that's that's definitely a force multiplier because you know now those two, one they're gonna learn from each other. But you have the one who's teaching the other one, and then he, you know, he may say, "Hey, you know, I'm having difficulty getting this thing done." And he's like, "Oh, well, I always try this," and he's like, "Oh, wow, okay, that works." So. Now you're you're more knowledge being shared across the board and then spread throughout the organization. And hopefully you're gonna get a nice spider web effect of that. And and that's yeah, like you said, once you get that spider web effect going where it's just spreading out that knowledge, then yeah, you get a force multiplier and your organization mm-hmm. is uh greatly improved for for that. Oh yeah. And you know, so when we get we get into this fit thing, uh, you know, how it fits into the organization. There's several dimensions to get the fit right, which includes possibly like fit to focus, which is kind of how how will the process deliver the strategic objectives required. Now that's that's some deep stuff right there. If if you really kind of pinpoint things, or how about fit to culture? Will, will the process reflect the organization's values, purpose, and underlying philosophy? Right. So we have we have this underlying culture that really has to kind of helps you have to kind of help grow that too. Uh, you can't just say, all right, we're going to focus on all this and we're going to leave that off to the side because really that's supposed to be some of our foundation that we've got to work on. Uh, fit to workforce and the psychological contract. Uh, what do employees want talent management to do for them? And how far will the psychological contract have to shift to work for both employees and the business? So, I mean, there's, I mean, these are elements that you're like, well, you know, you really don't think about this. Now, it may be something for some people, it just naturally happens. But for others, it's like, oh, you know what? I didn't think about like, how, how that works in there. Um, so let's talk about fit to focus. And uh, the, the way talent architecture and activities are developed and implemented, it really has to support the strategic focus and engage both senior managers or senior leaders and the workforce. Uh, a recent there was a recent article and it was in the Harvard Business Review and it basically identified deep seated commitment from senior executives as a critical a critical success factor in talent management. So that deep seated commitment from senior executives. Um, one of the newer things I've seen from Simon Sinek Ed when it comes to you know because he had the uh, the infinite game thing, he talks about he, he and I love it. He says, "What does a CEO actually do?" What is their what is their job, right? So you have COOs, we have C, there's CFOs, you know, the C-suites in a sense. There's, I mean, there's all kinds of like, you know, because you have the CFOs like the chief financial officer or the CEO is mm-hmm. the chief operational officer, right? So they're, what they do is in their title. But what the CEO, the chief executive officer, what do they, what do they do? Uh, I would imagine they sit on the board maybe and oversee the entire operation. They're kind of the 
top of the pyramid. It's kind of a hard. It's it's. I meant to ask that in a manner. Ed, that's a hard. That's a hard one to answer in a sense, right? But he said, "Why don't Why don't they change that? Why don't they call it the the chief visionary officer? Right? They're the one that's supposed to keep the vision of the organization going to continue pushing it forward. So if, if the vision is to do X, Y, and Z, well, they need to kind of keep generating their focus towards that vision." while the chief financial officer is still backing it up with all the money that needs to be done and whatnot, and then the chief operations officer is getting it done through the operational process. But we're all driving towards that same thing. I, I When he said that, I just I was like, man, that makes so much sense. And it and it falls right into that what that Harvard's business uh, review identified about deep-seated commitment from senior executives as a critical success factor in talent management. Uh, the more aligned the organizational strategy, the more likely they are to remain engaged. That's a big thing too. You know, if if you're aligned with what's going on, you'll tend to because you'll be working with that common goal. Their visible commitment sends out an important public signal of the importance given to developing people in the business. Um, and I I can see how that you know if uh, to, if if we're fitting the right talent management scheme Ed into an organization. And we're putting it in the right place, and it's focused. You can definitely tell that that's an organization that's trying to learn and grow. Versus, if you're not really doing that, and you're just kind of picking and choosing who you want to, and there's no real scheme of maneuver, it tends to be a little. You know, you know, we we used to call it all the buddy system, or not the buddy system. The um, um, oh goodness, what do you call that? Old boy system. The good old boy system. Yeah, the good old boy system. Exactly. I'm sorry. Yeah, the good old boy system of, well, uh, oh, such such. They're good old boy, and it's kind of like because we were friends, uh, we're gonna keep developing this person. But what about these guys over here? You know, or, or these individuals, these females over here, whoever it is. Well, what's not getting them developed? Why are they? You know, if there's an actual set little program within it and it fits right, man, you go for you know, you can conquer the world. Let's think about also as the nature of work changes within, say, an organization with more, uh, let's say, collaborative or cross-boundary working and more of a global and virtual working model of leaderships are often shifted, right? They're shifting because of that, that, uh, that focus has now moved along. So with that shift in focus, Ed, also has to go with a shift in the fit of whatever talent management scheme we're coming up with. Because if we continue to follow the same, that same um, rhyme or reason that we were using before to develop people, we're not actually preparing them for the future of the organization. That's the way I see it. Uh, so it's constantly got to be evolving. And I think a good example of that, Ed, would be just recently, you know, uh, the 7-22.7, the, the new NCO guide, yeah. and how it has outlined everything much different than what it was. I think that's been the massive shift that we needed also for uh, to have the right focus and to fit each organization. Yeah. And then in your organization, when you, this is, you know, all it really is saying to me is, it's talking about the new challenges, you know, you're working with more collaboration, which the organization I'm in now, this is the most I've ever really seen with that. Like we're very dependent on other, um, other sections, right. To, to, to provide us with information for us to do our part, to provide to somebody else. So that collaboration, we're crossing boundaries, you know, 
even in a civilian organization, these things are all unique challenges. And that's why it says the models of leadership, they've shifted as well. And that's where I think a good selling point when people hire veterans is because we are taught to be flexible, right? We're, we are taught to be patient from the hurry up and wait times that we spend. So these are things that these organizations are learning is that the, the leadership module leadership models have to develop and change with the times, you know, the leadership model that worked back in the day when there was no such thing as a, you know, a share drive or a SharePoint or intranet, th- those things, those things that were, uh the leadership then isn't going to work now. Everything has moved mm-hmm. and evolved so fast. And if you go through an airport, you see people working from the airport all the time. And, you know, those type of things have to be understood when we're developing programs uh, to manage our talent and to develop our future leaders. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 definitely. I, I completely agree. Uh, it's just, it's how, you know, and it's how we go about it. We just have to, I think it's one of those things where you kind of have to take a deliberate step towards it. And once you make the deliberate step, then obviously you're going to, you're going to start gearing things in that manner. Uh, so we, now we're going to talk about the, like, for instance, the fit to culture because culture, you know, just as well as I do, Ed, that culture and organization, it will make or break. You know, you can, you can have all these wonderful ideas. You'll have all these, you know, these great schemes, but if the culture's not right, one, that stuff's not going to get accepted and it's not going to work. You know, uh, you're tr- if you're trying to do, like basically develop change within an organization, you you may want to have some key players within your organization that are actually going to help push that change with you because it may not even get off the ground. I've seen it before. Yeah, I think you have to have your you have to have your finger on the pulse of the organization's culture yeah. and understand it. Like that's I mean that, that's probably one of the more critical aspects uh, of of managing an organization and developing talent. Oh yeah. Yeah. And this, this next little area that I want to read real quick, Ed, I find that what I'm about to read, I think it matches what we are in the military or what we do in the military in a sense. It's, uh, and you'll see what I mean by this, the degree of openness in an organization, such as transparency of pay scales and succession plans and opportunities for employee involvement in decision-making is an important contextual factor for getting the fit right. Firstly, the degree of openness needs to be reflected in the talent process as if it is difficult to introduce a transparent process in a secretive organization and vice versa. Secondly, it will dictate the degree of involvement that individuals have, whether they are able to self-nominate, whether managers nominate them anonymously, or indeed, whether they are spotted by basically, you know, the uh, those who hire or maybe the senior manager's recommendation type thing. Thirdly, it will inform how a new talent program is communicated inside the organization and how people relate to it. Now, think about all the changes that we have had over the over the past few years, Ed, and how you know, just how our organization runs and along with the changes we had and how those are all fit into exactly what we were taught, what I was talking about, like each one of those. So right off the bat, we're talking about the pay scales. Our pay scales, anybody can look at it. Yep. You don't have to be in the army to go and see, all right, what's what's a, you know, uh, an E8 first sergeant master sergeant make after 21 years? Anybody can look that up and find that out. Anyone, you know, um, or succession plans. 
secession plans. That's a that's a big deal. Uh, knowing who's who's next, right? Especially on the battlefield, yet. Come on. Oh yeah. yeah. I mean, you got to. I have to know if if my, if this guy goes down, who's taking his place? And then if that guy goes down, who's taking his place? Like literally, it should go all the way down to the last person. So everyone knows, hey, this is the next person up, next person up type thing. To, and that's a small, that's like a small little way to go about it. But at the same time, there should be some type of plan there to help move that. And then right here, opportunity for employee involvement and decision making. Oh man, if they help you with the decisions, now we have ownership because they're going to buy into what they offered up in the decisions. I, I loved what I had to say there. Yeah, and if you think back, Brian, to great leaders have no rules. He talks about having the lowest, you know, janitor, secretary, whatever, involved and, and having visibility of company uh, business like that gets that ownership and buy-in. And then we just had an episode on loyalty, and I think loyalty is going to be a result of those things as well. Um and then, of course, we've been lucky. So with the military, the military pretty much tells us the secession. We we, we mm-hmm. basically know. Oh, yeah. So, that, I mean, but, yeah, in an organization, you know, I mean, again, I've been out the civilian sector for a long time. Do you know in your organization, if you're working in the civilian sector, do you know who's in charge, you know, uh, three, three, three steps down? Who's the third guy in charge? We know usually you know who the first guy, you, you probably know who the second guy is. But do you know who the third person is that would be in charge? You know, what if those two guys get the flu and, and who's who's in charge then? You know, now you're oh, yeah. not feeling well. Who are you calling? Because the other two are already out with the flu. So, yeah, that, I mean, it's important to understand those things for the organization. And, you know, and I think that draws upon, Ed, the that very last sentence when I was talking about the program is communicated inside the organization. So not only is the program communicated, but also, but also if you're keeping everybody informed and it's it's communicated diversely across the board, when you do have to have that third or fourth or fifth person to step up to the plate, they know what's going on. There's nothing worse, I'm telling you, nothing worse to showing up to a meeting and you have no idea what's going on. You're like, what? We're doing what? Oh, when was that decided? Three weeks ago? Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Come on. Yeah. Now, the other thing, too, Brian, you've brought up many, many, many times. Yeah, we know the secession, but sometimes that third guy don't want to be in charge of anything, and that's when you'll see your informal leaders usually step to the front. Uh, And you've talked about informal leadership many times on the show, um, and we've discussed it with some depth. So, yeah, that's usually when you see those guys. That's when they shine because it's like, oh, you don't want to be in charge? I'll be in charge. And, you know, I remember uh, I had this old platoon sergeant, Sergeant First Class Whipple, and his famous saying was, when in charge, be in charge, big Sarge. That was his famous thing. And I and I tell yeah. him, hey, I'm not the platoon sergeant. There's like these other guys that outrank me. He's like, hey, sergeant, when in charge, be in charge, big Sarge. I was like, okay, you're telling me to be in charge. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. I don't want, I'm going to grab the bull by the horns. I'm going to rock this rodeo. <laughs> yeah, I'm not afraid of another E5. So whether he outranks me or not, I'm not. I'm usually not going to shy away from him. I'll, I'll take charge then. He don't want to do it, I'll do it. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. I say, hey, let's look at now. We're gonna we're gonna uh, we're getting to a point where we're kind of wrapping things up, uh, and we're kind of bringing it to a a head. But first, we are basically the last little piece of fit that we were gonna cover is basically the uh, fit to the workforce, right? So, how does it fit 
to the actual whole, the whole of the organization or the workforce, right? A new talent program can either enhance or breach the psychological contract with regard to how individuals expect their careers to progress. Acceptance on a talent management program usually shifts the balance of what an individual gives to the organization and what they get from it. Talent talent approaches, which simply gives a lot more of those in talent pools and are seen as taking away attention from other employees, can cause discontent. It often seems fair both to those in the talent pool and those outside it that the extra development attention given to select employees should be balanced by expecting them to show extra commitment through the way they perform, the range of assignments they are willing to accept, and their willingness to undertake development activities partly in their own time. I, that's right there. I think that that to me turns into uh, professional jealousy. Professional jealousy um, is one of those things where if it's not done right when it comes to this talent management and you're actually trying to develop everyone across the board, and you can't individually do it you you have to have a, that's why you have to have a program of you know all right this guy's training this guy and this you know all this different stuff because when you said attention from other employees can cause discontent that you know if i'm showing if i'm showing snuffy all this attention and mcgillicuddy is not getting any type of new knowledge and he's not and there's nothing going on there there's going to be some discontent there could be even um some disrespect towards Snuffy from McGillicuddy or McGillicuddy. I never really assessed his ability to, uh, in, in some of the areas. And now he takes his talents and goes somewhere else. So, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a big deal. <clears throat> so yeah, I've actually been guilty of this too. We have that. So when I did it, my, my guilt is you have the one who is really like, go, 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 go. I want more. I want more knowledge. And then you have the ones where you've got to like, strap them to the chair and force feed them the knowledge. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. So you have ones who just all the time, what you got, what you got. And then you got ones like, I don't, I don't want to know. So, but then what happened is when you start feeding the one who wants the knowledge, the one strapped to the chair suddenly, you know, tries to flip it and say, Oh, that's fake. There's some Mm -hmm. favoritism or there's this or that. But you didn't want it. Now you want the knowledge. And then when you start giving it to them and they realize you're giving it to them, they don't want it again. So it's like it was a wave in my situation anyway with that. It was an individual who really just wanted to stir the pot. I'll be honest with you. So, mm-hmm. But, I, I mean, I've been in, in that situation where it's like, okay, you don't want this knowledge? Don't. I'll give it to this guy. You don't want these – you know, you don't want this uh, this task. You don't want this – opportunity okay i'll give it to this guy so yes um, but you do have to be careful with that yeah my situation i think it was really a retaliatory thing on the on the backside from the the guy who didn't want it but yes you must be careful with that because it does can you know cause some discontent within your organization and that discontent can spread and really do some harm so you gotta be very cautious with that well and that's that's that whole what you said is if everyone's given that opportunity and let's say it's documented somehow or somehow it's recorded or, or basically you're able to uh, say, yes, this was done. Then those who didn't take it now, it's it's on them as an individual. Now, 
It's not that, hey, you know, because what I mentioned earlier, the good old boy system, that was really people picking and choosing who they wanted to develop and other people would get left out in the dark. No, if it fits in the workforce, you need to make sure everyone across the workforce is understanding what's going on and how it's going about that, you know, that secession thing. That's an important piece. And that's you, if you're not, if you're not going to actually open it up to anyone within, because there may be some hidden talents that you don't even know exist until they're given the opportunity to step up to the plate. There are some people, they claw their way to become better and claw and claw, and then they finally get their break and they get to succeed. But there are others who they have these great talents, but they just don't want to go through that extra effort because they feel like they're not given the opportunity or whatever. And they just never develop. So, I mean, that's, yeah, it's, it's pretty crazy, man. Hey, let's, uh, let's, we're going to close this out, but I want to look over this summary because I felt some of the information here, uh, in the summary of this entire study was actually pretty cool. Uh, so in, in summary, having a clear focus can turn talent management from an abstract idea into something more practical. It is important that areas of focus are ones in which proactive attention to attracting and or developing talent will make a real difference to the business, usually by creating a better pool of people from which suitably experienced and trained candidates can be drawn in the future. Uh, Equally important, is the ability to engage the whole organization in developing a talent mindset. That's I like that one. Mm. Whilst the introduction of talent management may be in response to a changing business environment and signal a shift to a more proactive culture of development and performance management. It also needs to fit with other people management practices and support the core values and purpose of the organization. Man, that, well, that's speaking <laughs> of my soul, Ed. Totally speaking yeah, of my soul, right? I, I there. can I mean, tell. <laughs> we could, we could have, we could have took just that that last little piece of the summary and did a whole show just talking about some of that stuff. Because I mean, you think about being proactive, uh, which uh, proactive attention to attracting and developing talent. I mean, that being proactive. Uh, you you can never be well. You could be a little bit too proactive, but pro- being proactive is very key in so many elements of any type of uh, organization. And when it comes to say the talent management piece, very much so because you have got to build up a pool of those coming in to take over jobs, positions, whatever. Um, and then having a mindset that's big. Yeah, you know, it's funny, Brian. We missed an opportunity. Both of us, we enjoy sports, right? And we enjoy a variety of sports. By the way, it's funny that a Boston team got accused of cheating, too, Um, in baseball. Um, Anyway. Whatever. But, no, but in seriousness, let's think about. So, I'm really baseball and hockey do it that I know of. I don't think football really has a thing. But what about these developmental? Isn't that what they're doing? So, hockey has the minors. Yeah. Right. And they put their draft picks down there unless they're like, you know, the second coming of Gretzky and then they come straight to the league. But uh, (laughs) baseball, they draft all these players and then they send them to the minor leagues. Right. And then some of them never come out of there. That's talent management because the talented ones will rise to the top and end up playing for the Washington Nationals, you know, uh, every every day. 
or you know for the Washington Capitals because they're great franchises who haven't been accused of cheating. Oh my um, <laughs> but it really is. If you think about it, Brian, it is a very good talent management program. We got all these draft picks. The greater ones will make it to the big leagues. The rest of them will play in the minor leagues, and then uh, eventually they'll go become a CEO somewhere or a COO. But uh, yeah, that's all it is: is having a nice pool to pull from. Yeah, to better your organization. So you know, for our sports fans out there, it's that's basically what we've been talking about today. Oh yeah, and and you say that it's funny you you brought up the uh, you brought up the ideas for football doesn't really have it, right? You, you you go from high school, college normally, and then college straight into uh, the pros type thing. So the pros don't really have a developmental league. But you think, I mean, we, we were just talking about this before the show started that, hey, uh, the XFL starting back up again. If if done right, yeah. that could be some type of development program. If done right, that is. Because there's so, there so much talent out there that could play ball, but they just need, they just need a little bit more time developing those skills now hence i would definitely say that the the risk of injuries in football uh are rather greater than say in baseball type thing you know what i mean so you you can kind of have somebody maturing and growing in baseball more longer than usually football because because of you know it's a contact sport and 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 that's that was like one of the things i was thinking when you were saying about the hockey i was like man that's a contact sport too like uh after a while you can only take so many hits to the head yeah (laughs) so yeah, but. Hey, but, well, and they're also making it. So in hockey, I can tell you, they're making it to the league younger and younger. They're getting. I watched the skills competition last night, and uh, I mean these dudes are these dudes are moving on them skates. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, and, and they're 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 level. And then you know we're watching. It's like this guy from this team, nineteen years old. I'm like nineteen, and he's already in the league. Like uh, the one of the best players in hockey. I think he's like twenty two, and he's in his fourth year. Like that's ridiculous. Oh yeah. Uh, in that sport, not only is in his fourth year, but he's been like an MVP already. And, you know, he, he's been considered one of the greatest players in the game for the last two years. Right. So it's, it's ridiculous how young they're getting, but so he, he never saw the minors, but then they also like hockey and baseball. They use this opportunity too for their injured. You know, they send their injured guys down there to recover and then they bring them back up. So, but football has flirted with the idea before, yeah. Um, the problem is like, you know, you have the CFL, but there's different rules. Yeah. There was a world league. I don't know if that's still around. No, so and there's outlets for those guys, but there's not a, so major league baseball and hockey have a direct connection to the minors, the NFL, there's arena football and you know, all these other outlets XFL, but they just don't have a direct yeah. outlet yet. Yeah. yeah. And NBA has one also. So yeah. Um, what they yeah. call it the G oh, league. Yeah. yeah. So, uh, well, hey, the show wouldn't be a show <laughs> if we didn't round it out with a good, uh, good task to go on here. And it, people may be like, how are you going to give us a task when it comes to talent management? Well, it's not really that tough uh, when I want to look at focus and how it's going to fit within the show. All right. Uh, your organization may or may not have a talent management system. This is probably you as an influencer, or leader, or, or or just even a you know a, a regular Joe within that organization. You may want to uh, possibly offer up some of the advice and ideas we presented here. So this is not something you got to reply back to us on. Maybe this is something that you you take from, you gain, and then you pass it forward uh, and to try to develop others. So your task is to possibly. 
uh, share this information or share this show with some those within your organization to help develop a, a better talent management system. Uh, Ed, yeah. So, what uh, what's some good information we should tell the listeners before we cut this out, brother? I think that they should check us out on all platforms of social media that we're involved with, such as Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter at One Hundred One Influence, and also check out our website, uh, InstinctiveInfluencers.com, where you can meet the faces and get some additional information. Uh, the website, the uh, Facebook page is a closed Facebook page, but just answer that simple question and get involved, join the community and become a member of our tribe. Absolutely, man. And that's, that, and that's it, you know, become a member of you know what we've got going on here and, and try to become a little bit better each day. Uh, talent management is just one of the many topics we covered uh, over the past year and some change a little over a year and a half that we've actually been recording these things. I would just say that, if you're doing things to make yourself and all those around you better, then you're going the right direction. And that's what we're seeking. That's why we do this show, uh, the main purpose of it. And we, we didn't mention it yet, Ed. What is our primary focus every time? Yes. We did mention it. You said lifelong learning? I absolutely did way back about 20, 30 minutes ago, my friend. But yes, lifelong learning is a focus for our show. We encourage everyone to never stop learning. All you're going to do is become a better person for it. Oh, absolutely. Well, I, I've got nothing else uh, for the audience, Ed. So it's time to get out of here, man. So I am Brian. And I am Ed. And this has been the Instinctive Influencers Podcast. Remember, a little bit of talent management to help that organization grow can make things way better. Thank you for listening. Have a great day.